Good morning, friends. My name is Pastor Milo. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. As that last song said, before the very throne of God, I pray that you feel that way this morning, that our time together as we've come here together, that we're actually walking into the very throne room of the almighty, all-powerful, all-creator God. And it's such a privilege to do that together here uh, each Sunday. It's a privilege, too, to be able to have uh, these baptisms, these stories that are being told, just the beauty that 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 really is of the way that God is working in our lives very individually, very personally, uh, very specifically. And so, uh, man, it is good to have you here with us this morning. Uh, If you haven't heard already, I think you probably have through our newsletter and uh, also through probably the obituary and that type of thing, as a friend of ours here as a church, Hazel Sheasley, Uh, passed away this week at 102 years old. So 102 years old. She used to sit right over here in this area on my left, your right. So if you don't realize it, you might be in hallowed ground, and that's okay. Um, And uh, But man, uh, it's just such a privilege to celebrate a life like that. And uh, Miss Hazel specifically holds a special place in my heart. As most of you know, I have a daughter named Hazel. And a few years ago, uh, when she turned 99, when Miss Hazel Sheasley turned 99, my daughter, three days later, turned nine years old. And so uh, here in front of the, of the church, uh, they were introduced to each other for the first time. And my daughter, Hazel, gave Miss Sheasley a, uh, a bouquet of flowers and just built a relationship. It started there between the two of them. She, she really had a friend who was 90 years older than her here at church every week. And so for a number of weeks when she was in good health and still driving to church, you know, not too long ago, uh, my daughter Hazel would be there waiting at the door to see if Miss Sheasley had come in yet and would open the door for her and they'd embrace each week. And it was just really kind of a special relationship to have someone with your namesake 90 years older than you and and, uh, even just a few weeks and their birthdays apart. And so uh, that's just been a really special connection for us as a family. Uh, My daughter Hazel is named after my great aunt Hazel, uh, who would have been really close to that 101, 102 uh, years old uh, time frame if she were still alive. She passed away in the early 2000s. (coughs) But she was someone I would never have called Hazel because in my world she was Aunt Et. Now, I don't know, I mean, actually, I do know why, but I don't know how it really happened other than kids can't pronounce names at times. And it was one of my aunts or uncles that couldn't pronounce Hazel for whatever reason and, and pronounced her name as Et, and all of the other siblings picked up on it as a mockery of this younger uh, sibling, and it stuck. And, and years later, I, as the great-grandchildren, uh, we are all calling this woman, this beautiful woman, Hazel Wilson, we all called her Aunt Et for the rest of her life. And so uh, Aunt Et was someone who was very special uh, to me. Uh, When I was in the military, she wrote me letters often. She didn't uh, ever marry. She didn't have any of her own kids. But I was kind of an extended grandson to her. And and she really was a prayer warrior. Um, She uh, sent me letters in the mail, much like Miss Hazel Sheasley was a letter writer and a birthday card writer. And and, uh, my Aunt Hazel... My Aunt Et would write me letters in the military telling me and pages of uh, what was going on at home, but also uh, prayers for, for me and for the experiences that I was going through and as God was developing as a young man, just praying over me as this prayer warrior. She shared with me uh, one time when we came to visit that she also had prayed. She said, I was really outside of my comfort zone, but I just felt like God was prompting me to pray 
uh, there in the country, we had an artesian well, which that means that the well is drilled in your backyard and, and actually water just comes right up out of the ground, pours out of the well. Uh, so there's no pump in the well or no need for it because water is literally just pouring out. And that was enough water for our home, for our animals, for the farm. All of that is just water just coming up out of the ground. And one day it just stopped. The water stopped coming out of the ground and we don't really know why. And my dad was working on the project and I was off in the military so I wasn't much help at that point. And my great aunt at let me know years later, she said, I made sure no one was around because I thought it was a little bit weird. And so uh, I went out and she had a cane or a walker, I can't remember at that point, and walked across your yard when I made sure that no one was there and uh, walked across the yard over to your well and I had some olive oil that I pulled out of my cabinet and I anointed the well with oil and prayed that God would allow water to start flowing from this well again. And she said, your kitty cat followed me all the way across the yard. And uh, the two of us, uh, we prayed there. And sure enough, God uh, honored her prayers. And a few days later, water just started pouring out of the well there. And so uh, what, a, what a neat uh, legacy uh, for her. Uh, today I'm going to talk uh, about a number of things. But I want to bring you to this first, uh, first things first about what it really means to be in prayer for one another. We do it as a church often. Uh, today's message will be about being in relationship with one another and what it really looks like for us to pray for one another. So our main passage today will be in the book of Romans, but if you want to turn first to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, we read this. <coughs> Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, who was called Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's been looking for you. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So we sang at the opening of our service this morning a song called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Uh, Thursday or Friday this week, I guess it was Thursday, uh, my daughter Hazel and I got to go and visit Miss Hazel Sheasley. And that song uh, was one that as, as uh, she lay there and we prayed over her uh, as she had prayed for us so many times, uh, this song came to mind and I uh, asked Hazel if, if we could sing this for Miss Sheasley uh, there in her room. And so we sang the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And and the beautiful thing is, as we talk about relationships, is Jesus demonstrated for us what friendship really looks like. Jesus prioritized friendship. Jesus prioritized relationship. And we as a church ought to do that and ought to be that. As, uh, as Mario talked about at the beginning, as we gather together today, there are three relationships that we believe that matter. First, our upward relationship with Jesus Christ. But secondly, this inward relationship here with one another in the body as a church so that, therefore, we can go out and have an outward relationship with our community. So if you've got your notes this morning, there's a white sheet of paper in your bulletin. There'll be the notes to follow along for you today. I want to make this statement as a starting point for us to get there. It's all about relationships. It's all about trust. The rest of life is just the details. It's all about relationships. It's all about trust. The rest of life is about the details. There's a lot that comes with that. There's a lot of pieces of that puzzle. But you'll find <coughs> that Jesus demonstrated for us a life that was not as much about the details as it was about the relationships. 
He demonstrated for us a life that wasn't as much about the details of everyday life, but more about the relationships with those he was around. What a friend we have in Jesus. Continue on first uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant, or some of your uh, uh, translations would say, Jesus was filled with compassion. He could not uh, hold himself back. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I am willing, be clean. Now this man was not someone that Jesus knew. This man was a leper. We don't deal with leprosy in our, our current society. It's not something that is a problem for us. But you understand, if you know anything about leprosy, a leprosy was a disease that literally was a skin disease that ate away at your skin. And simply by reaching out and touching him, he says, be clean, he, he could himself become a leper in that moment. <coughs> the modern day example of this would be something uh, like particularly in the early days of the AIDS virus, of how dangerous it was. And it's still just as dangerous today, but we've learned how to interact with the virus and how to keep ourselves clean. But he said, if you're willing, he says, Jesus, I am willing, be clean. And what happens? Immediately the leprosy left this man and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now he's very specifically telling him to go to the priest. Now this was the ceremonial rule for someone who had a disease was going to be go and, and be declared clean so that you could worship and gather together with the others of the society and the others of the community who are coming together uh, to worship at the temple. He's doing it also for another reason, because if he goes there and declares, well, how were you healed of this leprosy? Because leprosy was a death sentence. How were you healed of this leprosy? And the man would then be able to respond, well, it was Jesus of Nazareth. He reached out and he touched me, and now I am clean. You see, we see throughout uh, the Gospels, we see the way that the Pharisees fought back. We see that the way that they did not want Jesus to be part of their society and did all that they could to keep him at the edges. And yet he was giving them another opportunity to see the truth laid out in front of them. It's all about relationships. It's all about trust. The rest of life are just the details. If you turn over to Romans chapter 15, that's where you are in a sermon series. <coughs> called This Is Us, Romans chapter 15, if you're using a pew Bible, we're on page 1190. So we're first seeing that Jesus demonstrated that really it is all about the relationships. And we find here that the Apostle Paul is going to give an outline here, some principles for Christian ministry. Some principles for Christian ministry. And there is a number of times, anyone who is in vocational ministry, that people do pull you aside. And many of you have done this in a joking manner, but there are people who do this not in a joking manner. They're really trying to understand, what is it that a pastor does? Does he only work on Sundays? Legitimately, people wonder this. <coughs> and you go through and you talk about what, what happens in a week and where you're involved with people's lives. And really, at the end of the day, you're trying to demonstrate and trying to talk about the fact that it's all about relationships. When I was in youth ministry as a youth pastor, I loved to tell people, they said, well, what do you do all day? I said, really, I've gotten where I play a lot of ping pong. Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, at the climbing gym with some of the kids from the youth group, and I'm really good at ultimate frisbee. And I get paid uh, to do these things. 
But really, those are the details. You see that, friends? Those are the details. Those are not the relationships. What I'm trying to bring us back to here, what the Apostle Paul is going to do here is he's going to outline what ministry looks like, and it's not going to be as much about the details as it is about the relationships. So you may be listening and thinking, well, I'm not going into ministry. I don't have any intention of going into ministry. Uh, I'm not currently in that role. And so what does this passage have for me? You need to understand that this New Testament truth is not just for those who have been called to full-time Christian ministry. No, you will see that this is for every Christian, every believer. You are part of the body of Christ. Some were called to be hands. Some were called to be feet. Some were called to be the brain. Others were called to step out and follow. the. There are no inactive parts of the body of Christ. Every person is a priest, the priesthood of the believers, what we understand, Scripture teaching us and showing us that every one of us has a responsibility. Now, many of you work all kinds of jobs. There's a book by a man named Bob Roberts that talks about what it means to live globally, as in global missionaries living locally, saying, I don't care whether you are a physician here in the United States or a physician who goes across uh, borders to be able to help other people. I don't care whether you're in finance. I don't care if you're a school teacher. Your responsibility, your role is to be a follower of Christ in whatever situation you are in. You are in the ministry. And someday we will all give account to God of how we fulfilled this calling of being in the ministry together. So we're in chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Might present themselves acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Thank you. So as we look at this passage, we realize that it's the ministry that's being outlined here by the Apostle Paul. But the first thing you have to realize, and this is your first feeling for you this morning, if you are a Christian, if you are part of the body of Christ, you are in a relationship. If you are a Christian, if you are part of the body of Christ, your first feeling this morning is you are in a relationship. <coughs> As we begin here in verse 14, it says, I'm convinced, my brothers and my sisters. I grew up in a church where that was the common language back and forth within, the, within that church, where Brother Milo or brother or sister or whoever, there's this constant interaction. That, I think the kind of odd thing about that is that my actual sisters, I never call Sister Lydia or Sister, you know, but, but there was something about that. There was an attempt being made there to be a reminder of the fact that we are all part of the same family, part of the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are in relationship. I myself am convinced my brothers and sisters. Remember, these are principles for living a ministry-filled or a Holy Spirit-filled life. Second fill-in for you is if you are a Christian, you are to be encouraging. If you are a Christian, you are to be encouraging. If we're going to be in relationship with one another, we ought to encourage one another every once in a while. He says that you yourselves are full of goodness, he says, filled with the knowledge and competent to instruct one another. 
The Apostle Paul has not always been friendly in his letters to all the churches that he writes to. The Apostle Paul is not always affirming. But at the same time, he wants to make sure that even though the behaviors that they are going through, the way that they are living their lives out, this Christian life they are living out, he wants to remind them that they are competent, they are able to do some good things. You are full of goodness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you. If you're a Christian, you're already in a relationship. To be encouraging. Thirdly, if you're a Christian, you're to be accepting. <coughs> I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because the grace of God given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, the Apostle Paul, other places, gives his long list of credentials as to why he is a good Jew. But God had called him specifically to the Gentiles, people who he had not normally interacted with, people whose whose eating habits were very different from his own, people whose worship habits and daily lives were very different from his own, and yet he realized that God had called him to accept those people. You see, in the, the local church, we are in relationship with one another, yes, And we are to be encouraging with one another, yes, but we are also to be a place that is accepting of people who don't look like us, sound like us, act like us. You see, it is the the binding of the Holy Spirit that does that. I've written to you quite boldly on some points, he says. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to give you, uh, I'm trying to give you some insight. Fourthly, if you're a Christian, you are to be loving. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, in order for this to happen, those Gentiles who who would seem so far from the religious practices that that he would be comfortable with or those around him would be comfortable with, he was going to have to do so in a loving manner. He would have to do so like like a high school coach does at times. Where, where kids are going through some difficult things in their home lives, or going through some difficult things in their school lives, and he is taking those relationships and taking those things into account as he's coaching these kids. Because at the end of the day, the football program isn't that important. At the end of the day, uh, being the best basketball team in the state isn't as important as it is the next generation of young men, the next generation of young women. A good coach knows that. A good coach knows their responsibility is to love and care for their team. The Apostle Paul here calls it a priestly duty. He's going back to that Old Testament connection of really the priest and their responsibility to be the mouthpiece for God. Proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, so that why? Because it's the most loving thing he could do is make sure that the Gentiles, those who are farthest away from God in that culture, might become an offering acceptable to God. How is that possible? Because of the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you're in a relationship. If you're a Christian, you are to be encouraging. If you're a Christian, you are to be accepting. If you're a Christian, you are to be loving. Let's continue reading in verse 17. <coughs> Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to <coughs> excuse me, look around. 
I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Here's your next fill-in. If you're a Christian, you are to be listening. If you are a Christian, you are to be listening. He says, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has told me to say. So I'm going to be very careful when I say I'm going to be listening for the voice of God before I share it with you. And anything that you are growing from or learning from, it's because I'm leading the Gentiles to obey God with what he has said and done. And that is why I'm repeating it with what I'm saying and doing. So he is listening for the voice of God. As a Christian, when we are in relationships with one another, you ought to be encouraged by a relationship with someone who is listening for the voice of God. And in turn, that is the voice that you ought to be listening to. Secondly, if you're a Christian, you are to be investing. Verse 19 says, By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul knows and understands very well that it is not by his own power that this church is growing. It's not by his own power that the gospel is going out. It's not by his own power that he's able to do anything. No, he is taking the very power and resource that God has given him, the gospel, and he is investing it in the lives of these people there in Rome by the power of the Spirit of God. If you're a Christian, you are to be investing the very power of God into your friends, your family, your close relationships, investing in one another, saying, I've got some resources for you, friend. It is the resource of a holy God who interacts with us on a personal nature. Let me invest some of that in your life. If you're a Christian, you are to be investing. If you are a Christian, you are to be focused. So from Jerusalem, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He starts in Jerusalem. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk here about what it means for us as a church to be a, be a place where we draw circles. The Apostle Paul knew where his ministry began. And the Apostle Paul then describes the farthest place he can imagine. But as he's, as he's looking out, <coughs> as he's seeing what God is doing with his ministry, there is a focus to what he is doing. And as we interact with one another, as the body of Christ works together, as we spend time together month after month, year after year, Ms. Hazel Sheasley spent a lot of months, a lot of years in this church. We are told to be and taught to be focused on our time. I think specifically being focused on saying, our church is located here in Williamsville, New York for a reason. What do we do because of that? We happen to be on this planet in the year 2000 plus. What are we going to do about that that's different about this time frame than they did when it was 1900? There's something unique about us being in the United States of America, yes, with its hurts and habits and that are all messed up, but in the same time, the most free nation in the world. We are here in this place, and as we, as we live this, this faith out, God has put us here for a reason. Let us have a focus in that. Your last feeling this morning is if you're a Christian, you'll share through evangelism. 
It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I've been often hindered from coming to you. He said, I've missed dinner a few times because I was intentional about sharing the gospel. Let me tell you what happened. Friends, if we're going to be in relationship with one another, there's, a, there's, there's an understanding that really the gospel ought to be part of every one of our relationships. That evangelism will happen in as, as many possible ways as it could possibly happen. If we are going to be people who are going to live on this planet together as followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, that evangelism will spill out of that. You see, when you have a relationship with someone that matters, you'll bring them to Christ. When you care for someone, the most caring thing you can possibly do for them is connect them to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. If you've been coming to this church for weeks, for months, or if this is your first time today, the most caring thing, the most loving thing, the most investing thing that we could do is connect you to the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Turn back over, if you will, to Mark chapter 2, because I, I think that Jesus demonstrates these principles well. When we see his life lived out, I think it's being demonstrated well here. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Mark, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And there's many gathered together, so there's no more room, not even at the door. And he was still continuing to preach to them. <coughs> when he prayed on the mountain that morning, what did he tell his disciples? What did he tell those in relationship? I know what I'm doing. I know the focus that I have, and it is to preach and teach the gospel. Biblical scholars will tell us that we believe this is Peter's house, Simon Peter's house. Why? Because Jesus doesn't have his own home. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head, we read in Scripture. He's at Peter's house. And word starts to get out. It says, I hear that Jesus is in the house. How, how do people hear about Jesus being in your house? I hear that Jesus is in the house, it says, and all the noises, all the words, songs, and programs that you watch on television. Has as, as, as Jesus been in your house? Is it obvious? Because there's something obvious about Jesus being in Peter's house that people knew about it. The relationships that Peter had, the family members that he had, they all knew that Jesus was there in the house. Verse 3, and they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. In a very real and tangible way, right there as Jesus is in someone's home, the gospel is very literally breaking through barriers. While Jesus is teaching, while Jesus is preaching, the roof opens up, friends, and someone is lowered down in front of him. These, these friends had to do some damage they had to bloody their knuckles. They had to get dirty. They had carried him through the crowd, through the streets, but they were bringing him to Jesus. Why? Because their relationship mattered enough for them to do so. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, what does he say to the man? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, inside of the story, there's the controversy that then ensues again with these religious rulers, with these, with these leaders of the day, because who is this man who has the power <coughs> to forgive sins? He could have said, be healed. And they would have had a problem with that, but now he's gone even further and said he has the power to forgive sins. They are uncomfortable. Forgiveness in relationships will break down barriers, but at times it's going to make you uncomfortable. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, squirming there, if you will, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <coughs> the reality is, is these men never spoke aloud. And yet Jesus hears them, and immediately Jesus, he says, perceiving in his spirit the questions that were going on within themselves, he turns around, whips around, and says, what is the question that you are asking in your heart? Now, that's weird. <laughs> Can you imagine waiting in line at Tim Hortons, and you think to yourself, I can't believe this person is wearing this thing while I'm standing in line behind them. And they turn around and say, what are you thinking about what I'm wearing right now? I can hear you. Jesus responds, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, rise up, pick your bed, and go home. He breaks down a fathom of barriers. He breaks down all kinds of barriers. And they were all amazed, it said, and they all glorified God. We've never seen anything like this. You see, the reality is it's all about relationships. It's all about trust. The rest are just the details. Jesus wasn't worried about the details. He was worried about the relationship. He wasn't worried about what the religious leaders of the day thought. He wasn't worried about what was proper for him to do or not to do. He was worried about this man and his eternal position before a holy God. Your final filling on your sheet of paper there is this. If you've been paying attention, there's an acronym we've been working on here. Real life relationships tell us a story of mistakes failures, wrong decisions. But we've come to realize that there's more. There's a story of redemption. You see, when you're in a relationship with someone, uh, a close friend, a family member, you're going to see them warts and all at some point. <coughs> you're going to go through some things that are difficult, some interactions that are less than favorable. But when you go through those things and you can get over those things, you're going to see redemption played out for us. And I believe that God has given us relationships so that we again and again and again and again can see what the love of Christ does for a relationship. So we can see our need for redemption because we are all pretty messed up people. It's all about relationships. It's all about trust. The rest are just the details. You see, if you continue on in Mark chapter 2, Jesus demonstrates it again. 
You see, at the beginning of each of these statements that I've asked you to look at today, the question I'm asking is, if you are a Christian, <coughs> if you are a Christian, you should be accepting. If you are a Christian, you should be loving. If you are a Christian, the word Christian means a follower of Christ. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them and preach. Remember, he said, this is why I'm here. But as he walked along, he sees Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. The most hated of men in that society. Why? Because the tax collector was one of their own family members, one of their own that they would be in relationship with, and yet he had sold himself out to Rome. The tax collector would, would take money from the people there, but then would keep some of it for himself. So, so Rome had a certain dollar amount that they expected the tax collectors to collect, but they were known again and again and again for exorbitantly pressing that higher and using the Roman rule and the Roman soldiers to enforce their own pocketbooks. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, and Jesus said, follow me. Levi got up, and he followed him. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating him and with his disciples. This is scandalous, friends. But the details don't matter because the relationships do. Because there became many who followed him. When the teachers of the law and those who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why would he eat with the tax collectors and with the sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You see, the spiritual life is a real life. This last verse, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm hacking and coughing the whole time I'm speaking this morning. There's my wife. She's coughing as well. There we go. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but a sick. Jesus knows and understands. And the Apostle Paul, as he lays out what does ministry look like, he, he is acknowledging the fact that there's some real life that happens when we are in relationship with one another. In real, life, in real life, you have to interact with people who are sick. In real life, you have to interact with people who are, who are not as friendly as you would like. In real life, you, me, I'm not as friendly as I would like, or as you would like me to be, or as smart as you would like me to be. But that's what relationships are about. And there's something beautiful about the body of Christ who understands that it's really all about relationships. There's something compelling for the unsaved world because, because really what does Jesus say when he is talking to this tax collector? <coughs> he says, leave it all, come follow me. There's something that the paralytic man who's being brought to Jesus that his friends are saying, they're saying, there's someone that I need you to meet, come follow me, let's go there. And when we're in a relationship with one another, all those details start to fall away because we start continuing to bring people to Jesus again and again and again. And we invest in one another's lives. And we listen to one another's problems. And we're focused on sharing the gospel again and again and again. 
I believe this is something that the unsaved world cannot get their heads around. I wrote an article in our, our church newsletter here this week just about helping somebody move. It's something that happens here often. Many of you have help with that all the time. Someone needs some help moving, they're moving across town, they're moving to the apartment just above them, whatever that is, the call goes out and people come out, they pick up some boxes and they move. There's something about being in relationship with one another as the body of Christ that the people outside of this, these walls, outside of this church, when I'm talking about outside of the church, I'm not talking about here at 60 on Main Street, I'm just talking about the body of Christ, friends. They look at that and say, well, why would you help them? You've got plenty of other better things to do. You say, well, that's the details. I'm, I'm in relationship with this person. When we drive a thousand miles to respond to a hurricane, that question is asked again and again. Why would you come here? Well, it's because of relationship. As those miles tick by, that's not as important as it is the relationship that I can pull you, I can bring you to Jesus Christ. So this morning I'm asking, as we look at this text, for us to think about what a friend we have in Jesus. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing that song, maybe a little bit easier version for you to join in and sing again. But it's to be a reminder of, of the God on high, the God who spun this planet into motion, decided to use relationship as a way to connect with humankind. He decided to make himself available to those who were sick, to make himself available to those who were tax collectors and sinners and outcasts. He decided to make himself available to the twelve in a way that would change their lives forever and would literally turn them upside down, turn the world upside down, we read in the epistles, for the sake of the gospel. Are we in relationship with one another that is going to turn Williamsville upside down? Do we understand what it means to be able to connect with someone? And the details start to fall away and we say, you know what, I can't figure out all the details, but I just know that you are a person who God loves and so I love you. So this morning, as we bow our heads, Lord, are there any here today when the question is asked, if you are a Christian, you are or you are to be? Well, there are some here this morning who aren't. There are some here this morning who are not following hard after you. There are some here this morning who feel as though they are outside of that relationship. And we see again and again, Lord, in your ministry, the Apostle Paul's ministry, leaders who went to those who are on the outside of the circle. So, Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here, Lord, who, who needs to follow you. Lord, I pray that invitation would be clear, just as it was to Levi here. Leave your sin and follow me. And that's it. Lord, you're not only speaking to the outliers, you're speaking to many of us this morning. Many of us who are grown comfortable with the religious practices and rituals of the day. 
And they look different now than they did 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 1,000 years ago, but they're rituals nonetheless that we grab a hold of. And sometimes we can get caught up in those details, Lord, and miss the relationships. So, Lord, I pray that there would be some this morning who would respond to this text, respond to this message by being willing to focus on the relationship rather than the details. And in that, Lord, we trust that you will be glorified. As we found multiple times in the text this morning, it is through relationship and the beauty of relationship, Lord, that you will get the glory. We thank you for the offering, Lord, this time that we bring our tithes before you. We bring what you have given to us and we bring back a portion to you. We thank you for how it enables us to, to go out as a church and, and to use what you've given to us, Lord, and to give it away as well as we possibly can. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom in that process. Pray that if there's anyone who's responded this morning, that they would write that down on a connection card, start a dialogue that we can continue at a later date. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We thank you for being the friend that we can always, always go to and pray to. In Jesus' name, amen.